This is the Intego Mac Podcast. The voice of Mac security. For Thursday, September 30th, 2021. This week's Intego Mac Podcast security headlines include Apple continues to push security updates to older devices that still run iOS 12. Bonus, but it's a break from precedent. Updates on zero-day vulnerabilities affecting iOS and iPadOS. And our look at Apple's brand new iPhone 13 Pro. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing fine. Did you order your iPhone yet? (sighs) No, and you know what? Here's the thing. I'm not sure I'm going to. That's why I haven't ordered it yet. Okay. Good. Good on you. Yes, it would be nice to get that little bit of extra storage capacity, but do I really need it? Like, I can probably squeeze another year out of it. Okay, well, we'll talk more about my new iPhone in the second part of the show. But first, you've been really busy with a number of articles on the Intego Mac security blog. And let's start talking about iOS 12 and how it's still getting security updates for in-the-wild issues. You know, when I first saw this, I was thinking iOS 12? Did you make a mistake? But iOS 12, we're up to 15, so that's 14, 13, 12. That's three OSs ago. They generally release macOS updates for the current and two previous macOS releases. That's been going on for many years at this point. However, what's a little bit newer is Apple releasing security updates for an older version of iOS. And that older version has been iOS 12 for the last couple of years because with the release of iOS 13, which dropped support for a bunch of devices that iOS 12 supported, they felt kind of like they needed to continue to release some security updates for iOS 12. And that continued with the release of iOS 14 and now also with iOS 15. What we weren't sure about was whether Apple was going to drop support for iOS 12 security updates now that they have announced and are starting to release security updates for iOS 14 along with 15. Now, again, we've mentioned this before, but 14 and 15 both run on the same devices that ran iOS 13. You know, anything that could run iOS 13 can now run iOS 15. So there's no particular reason why you would need to still be running iOS 13, even if you have one of these older phones. But iOS 12, if you've got certain models, you're stuck with it. You can't upgrade beyond that. And it's worth pointing out that these are models like the iPhone 5S and the original iPad Air that date to 2013. So this goes back quite a ways. And as Kirk said, this is really important to note. iOS 12 is still getting security updates for in-the-wild issues. And I, I chose the, the, the wording carefully in our show notes because that's basically the only thing that's getting patched still for iOS 12. Any other vulnerabilities, if Apple's not aware of it being actively exploited in the wild, then they're just not going to patch them for iOS 12. So you definitely should still upgrade to a newer device that can run iOS 15. Okay. In other news, Pegasus spyware was found on five French cabinet members' phones. And this is pretty serious. It's one thing to target... I don't know, a business person, a journalist, an activist, and we know this is what they're looking for. But when they get into government, especially because government should have 
a much stricter security rules for the devices that these people use. Sure. However, because of the way that Pegasus spread, I mean, it was probably a zero-click um, remote attack that infected these devices. It's not something that is just, you know, rampant malware that's out there in the wild. This is These are targeted attacks where an individual uh, is targeted by somebody who wants to spy on them. There's not a whole lot of detail. We don't know for sure if these were iPhones or Android phones, but in any case, this is just five more devices belonging to people in positions of power who have now been confirmed to be compromised. And and in the past, we've talked about that. There were business executives, religious figures, academics, NGO employees, union officials, government officials, cabinet members, presidents, prime ministers, and here's more cabinet members. So there's going to be more people who will continue to discover that their device has been infected. And um, we may not always report on it, but it was just interesting when that came up this week, just because we haven't really heard much about it for a couple of months. Okay, we're following up on something from last week that we discussed the interlock or interlock zero day vulnerability. You have some more information about this. Yeah, we, we mentioned last week that the problem was that theoretically you could get this INET lock or file lock file. And when you double clicked on it, it would launch a, an app or a file that was already on your Mac. So this only could really be a problem if you had a vulnerable app and somebody knew it and knew exactly where it was installed. Also the possibility that maybe somebody could trick you into downloading something in your downloads folder and also get you to run this inet lock file that could then trigger that malicious file that got downloaded. So there's kind of a couple of steps, right? So I did a little bit more research into this, and, and it turns out that there are still very specific circumstances where somebody actually could do something like this. One is within your home folder, you have a folder called public, and within that folder, you have another folder called Dropbox. This is not the company Dropbox. This is a drop space box. And the purpose of that folder is to be right only to everyone else who has an account on your Mac. If somebody wants to share a file privately just with you, and they're also a user of the same Mac that you use, they can drop you a file. So if you, in theory, had access to any account on a computer that you want to attack, you could put a file in that Dropbox folder. You could send somebody an INET lock or file lock file that could trigger whatever it is that you dropped in their Dropbox. And then another scenario is actually kind of similar, and this is the commercial Dropbox now that I'm talking about. If you have a shared folder with somebody on either Dropbox or Google Drive or probably other cloud platforms as well, you could know exactly the path to whatever file or app you are sharing with them. And then if you could get them to open that INET lock file, you can trigger whatever file or app you put in the Dropbox or Google Drive shared folder. Obviously, this is not something that your average bad guy is going to be able to use against you. Okay, so we don't have to worry too much, but it is interesting the way it works. Yeah, it's, it's just not something that people need to worry too much about, kind of like we were thinking last week. Okay, one more. Researcher discloses several zero-day iOS and iPadOS vulnerabilities. 
privacy, that's iPhone, you used as your header graphic for this article. Ah, uh, yes. Okay, well, there were three zero-day vulnerabilities, meaning that they had not been re revealed to the public in the past. There was also a fourth that has been fixed in iOS 14, but is not yet mitigated in iOS 15. So it's not technically a zero day. It's a zero day, I guess, for iOS 15 users because Apple has not released a patch for them yet for some reason. It's worth pointing out that there was an iOS 15 update we're going to talk about my new iPhone in the second part of the show. When I got the new iPhone, there was an iOS 15 update waiting for me. It didn't say security update. It didn't say 15.0.1, but there was an update. So maybe there's maybe they've updated some stuff, but it's not yet available to everyone. I don't know. Huh. That's kind of interesting. Okay. So I'm going to go through these really quickly because we don't need to spend a ton of time on them. The first vulnerability is in Game D. This is the Game Center process. Anybody who has an app in the App Store can get your full name that's associated with your Apple ID, your Apple ID email address. They can read the contents of your speed dial database and your address book database so they can get the names and contact information and photos of your contacts. The second one, NE Helper Wi-Fi Info. Somebody could get information about the Wi-Fi network you're connecting to. I, I know that doesn't sound scary at all, but one of the bits of information they can get is your BSSID, which is a unique identifier particular to your Wi-Fi access point. And those BSSIDs are searchable in an online database, which means that somebody could find out exactly where you are in the world. Number three the any helper enumerate installed apps zero day and somebody could use this to find out what apps you have installed again you might say eh, that's not such a big vulnerability but think about this if somebody knows what types of dating apps you have installed they might be able to infer something about you know your love life they also might be able to figure out your political or religious views they might be able to find out which bank or credit union you use where you work where you go to school where you shop where you travel a whole bunch of other things by the way just as an aside this is why i don't recommend that you take a screenshot of your iOS home screen because somebody might be phishing for information. They're trying to get information out of you about the types of apps that you use because it, they can reveal a lot about you. Okay, I must be boring. So here's what my main home screen looks like. Now, as you can see, I have my iPhone set up with four by four icons and four in the dock, and there is nothing but boring apps here. I'm gonna read through them really quick because it says nothing about me. Settings, App Store, Photos, Camera. Clock, WordPress, Google Maps, Safari, Washington Post, The Guardian, News, Weather, Overcast, Music, Bear, Fantastical, and at the bottom, Twitterific, Mail, Messages, and Phone. Totally boring. Now, of course, I have other home screens which have the interesting apps, but on the front one, I don't have anything that stands out very much. Okay. All right. Well, in any case, see, see Kirk just... You're going to show me yours. <laughs> no. <laughs> No. Well, okay, we'll do this. We'll talk about this later. All right, all What's right. the last vulnerability here? Okay, so the last one that is not fixed in iOS 15, this is Analytics D, that is the component that has this vulnerability. Apple collects a lot of analytics data. Even if you have the feature turned off to report all this analytics data to Apple, they still collect it on your device, which you can find if you go to Settings, Privacy, Analytics and Improvements, 
analytics data. You'll find a massive list of just text files with logs and logs and logs that go on for days. Some of the information contained in those logs can be obtained by any app in the App Store. The types of information can include things like medical information, heart rate, count of detected AFib and irregular heart rhythm events, menstrual cycle length, also your age, your biological gender, your known languages, whether you have been logging sexual activity, the manufacturer model firmware version and user assigned names of any accessory devices. So this would be like your Bluetooth headphones. I don't know why that's particularly important, but, and then app crash logs. And that's kind of interesting because that could reveal a lot of additional sensitive information about you, depending on what types of things are collected in a crash log. So yeah, anybody who has an app in the app store can use any of these vulnerabilities against you until Apple patches them. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about the new iPhone 13 Pro. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2021. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection, Net Barrier, for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security. Personal backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware. And much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Big Sur and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego, world-class protection and utility software for Mac users, made by the Mac security experts. Okay, so I got the new iPhone 13 Pro. We've got a review up on the Intego Mac Security blog. And the challenge here is to see if by t discussing this, I can tempt Josh to order a new iPhone, even though it'd take about three or four weeks to get it. It's not like you can just hop over to the Apple Store and pick one up. So it can't be an impulse purchase. Right. I decided to frame this review using the the top-level um, taglines that Apple uses. They've got five sentences. A dramatically more powerful camera system. A display so responsive every interaction feels new again. The world's fastest smartphone chip. Exceptional durability. And a huge leap in battery life. So these are the five key features that Apple's talking about. It's obvious if you saw the presentation, the camera is the thing. The camera's the best ever. It is a dramatically more powerful camera system. Now, I'm reminded of a Stephen King quote, the road to hell is paved with adverbs. And the use of dramatically here is not <laughs> accidental because of the cinematic mode that they presented. Remember, they're showing, they're filming that little whodunit, and it, the focus goes from one person to another. I tried it with my cats a couple of times. It was kind of fun until it got boring. And I kind of think that people are going to play with this a little bit and they're not going to do much. But if they're budding filmmakers, I mean, this is just an amazing tool to have. When I was uh, when I was young in my 20s, I had a friend who was in NYU film school. And I can imagine if he had something like this back then, what, you, what he could have done, you know, $1,000 for a camera to shoot films. 
But the camera's better. You get the three different cameras, the ultra-wide, the wide, and the telephoto. The telephoto is a little bit longer than before, so it zooms more. It goes a little bit further. I've found a few problems with some of the photos, particularly with the ultra-wide. Some of them are washed out. The HDR isn't great. I think the ultra-wide... For me, as someone who uses, and I'm going to put in air quotes, real cameras, I never use a, a, a wide-angle lens that wide. It's just a little bit too much for me. But if you look in the article, so I've got a little video showing the difference between the ultra-wide, wide, and telephoto. And you can see it's quite a difference. It's a six-time difference from the ultra-wide to the telephoto. This is actually one of the reasons why I was kind of considering getting a, a newer iPhone is just to, to have a little bit more flexibility in terms of the camera lens options and things. I like the idea of having a longer telephoto. Also, the macro mode is actually pretty impressive. I, I had a friend who sent me a video that he took of an ant crawling on a leaf or something. And then you've got a, a nice macro photo of a daisy, is it, uh, in your garden? Yeah, it's a small daisy. Yeah. And it looks really good. So I took some photos in a field near where I live, and that's the video showing the ultra-wide, wide, and telephoto. And then just below that is a picture of a daisy, one of the daisies that you can see in the foreground of the photo. It is pretty good. And I've got a bunch of good photos. We were out over the weekend visiting a couple places, and I've got some good photos. Again, the ultra-wide lens is not great, but it's still an iPhone. Phone. It's still only 12 megapixels, and there are limitations. Uh, one thing I like, though, is this thing that they call photographic styles. Now, instead of just the default filters, which are like cool and warm and, and things like that, you get four styles called rich contrast, vibrant, warm, and cool. And you can adjust a little bit of the, the color and the contrast in these different styles. So you can make a sort of default filter for your photos, which you might want to use for all your photos or you might want to set up different ones. People shooting fashion photography often do things where they're going to shoot warmer or cooler to alter the colors. It's not something for everyone. It, I think a lot of the camera things are gimmicks here, but there is a better quality overall in terms of the cameras on, these, on this phone. So, a display so responsive, every interaction feels new again. And you know, I'm upgrading from an iPhone 11 non-pro, and once I took out this phone, I was like, yeah, okay. This has an OLED display, and the non-pro ones don't. And while I have an iPad Pro, the 10.9-inch, which has ProMotion, I actually never noticed it because the iPad, it's further away. You don't use it the same way. The iPhone, you hold closer. And that little ProMotion thing makes a big difference. So ProMotion is the frame rate automatically adapts between 1 and 120 hertz, so hertz is once per second. So if you're scrolling something really fast, the frame rate's going to go up, but if you're not scrolling faster, if you're just looking at a fixed page, it's going to go really slow. Not only does it make it smoother, but it saves a lot of battery life, and that's really important. And that is going to be the final feature I talk about that really sells this. So, so far we got the cameras that you like. What about the display? Do you like that? Yeah, as I mentioned, I think uh, when we first talked about Apple's announcement uh, about the new phone, um, I, I did say that was one of the things that, that I found pretty impressive. Um, however, I, this is not something that like you buy a phone for, right? This is just like one of no, those. No, of course not. Yeah, this is yeah. a bonus. <laughs> right, right. This is like a, a nice to have, but definitely not a need. But I can imagine how uh, it would look really nice to, you know, scrolling like butter, right? Yeah, like butter. Okay. The world's <laughs> fastest smartphone chip. Every year it's the fastest iPhone ever, right? And 
It is, arguably, because these things just get better. But there was an interesting analysis that I linked to in the article that's showing that Apple processor performance for iPhone and mobile devices is increasing much more slowly. Now, that doesn't mean it's not faster, and it doesn't mean it's not a problem, but I don't really... It's not the speed of a process that it sells an iPhone, in my opinion. Not many people really say, well, I've got to absolutely have a process of this speed. On top of that, they never talk about how fast it is in terms of, of gigahertz or anything. So we're just trusting them that it's faster. If you remember in the past, they would always be like 20% faster than the previous one. And now it's like 20% faster than most other smartphones. And, and they're being more vague because it's harder to sell for the speed. Right, right. And and this is one of those things that, that you kind of have to expect, right? I mean, there's there's incremental upgrades, you know, they're, they're minor. Um, and I feel like that that's kind of a lot of really what the iPhone 13 Pro is, or, or and really the whole iPhone 13 line is th these are mostly minor upgrades. And so they had to like really, really try to convince people that like this is this is the phone you got to get right. Um, I, I do think that the iPhone, though, is a very mature product, obviously, at this point. And so there's not probably a whole lot you can do to really dramatically improve it from one model to the next. Every once in a while, Apple will come out with something that's a little bit more revolutionary instead of evolutionary. Um, but this incremental, you know, um, uh, evolution is is good. And, but can I wait another year? I still, I st <laughs> at this point, I still kind of feel like I can. Okay, exceptional durability. Now, the, the ceramic shield is something they started last year, and they're talking about it this year. The surgical grade stainless steel was there last year as well, or the aviation aeronautic grade aluminum on the, the basic 13. Water and dust resistance, they don't seem to be any different. So I, they're just kind of reminding it because they needed five key points. And so this one is the smallest one. I, I think I've never broken a, a, an iPhone screen or an iPad screen. I, I've always been really careful. I always put cases on my iPhones. So I, I know people who do break them. Maybe there's going to be a difference between, you know, with last year's models and this year's models, but I don't see a problem with that. Right. S same here. I'm also not one of those people <laughs> who has broken my iPhone display. I know there's a lot of them out there. I'm not judging. I'm just saying I've, I've never personally had a problem with that. So I, I, not, not a feature that's going to sell me either. Okay, so the big feature here is a huge leap in battery life, and this is undeniable. I linked to a YouTube video where someone did a test, and he laid out a whole bunch of models, iPhone 13, 12, 11, and SE. He put them on a table. He filmed them. He made them all the same brightness. He opened apps on all of them roughly at the same time, and you could see how quickly they died. And I think the iPhone SE died in three and a half hours, but the iPhone 13 Pro got over eight hours and the Pro Max over just under 10 hours. Now, Apple rates the 13. Pro for 22 hours of video streaming. And this is, they probably choose that because it's something that sounds really impressive, but I think they're using videos that use hardware decoding. So that doesn't use a lot of battery. The 13 Pro Max, they rate it 28 hours. And again, that sounds like a lot. I think no matter what with either of the Pro models, you will have all day power because you're not going to have the phone on all the time. Right. That's true. The vast majority of people, you know, uh, they get out their phone every once in a while, look at it for a few minutes and then put it away or put it back down. 
And most people don't actually just leave the phone display on all the time. And so when they're talking about that many hours of battery life, they're, they're talking about like active use, which again, like you're saying, it, it may not be really exactly that number of hours as, as in this demo video. I, by the way, I mean, this is not really a super scientific video because I mean, like he's using things like TikTok and, and, and things where um, there's going to be different videos that are loading. And so it's not like a perfect comparison, but it still gives you a pretty good idea. Okay, so one thing I got with this is the MagSafe charger, the mini hockey puck MagSafe charger. And I really like this. Now, I'd been using a an anchor induction charger on the bedside table in the bedroom. I'd put my phone on at night. I'd make sure it vibrates so that tells you when it's lined up and it's going to be charging. And sometimes I'd wake up in the morning and I'd have like 0% or 3% because I didn't line it up correctly. And with the MagSafe, it kind of snaps onto the back of the phone, and it's so much better, it's so much more efficient, which leads me to something we were discussing before the show about the European Commission wants to impose USB-C charging ports on all phones. And so we, we spent an awful lot of time before the show both agreeing and disagreeing. This would mean that Apple, so Android, a lot of Android devices have USB-C ports on, on them. And in fact, here's something interesting. Amazon is releasing new Kindles today. For some reason, before the announcement, they're available on the Amazon website. And the new Kindle models have USB-C instead of U micro USB. And remember, we were talking about 3G networks disappearing a couple months ago. None of the Kindles currently offers cellular except for the Kindle Oasis. They're all Wi-Fi only. So we were wondering what Amazon would do with new Kindles regarding the loss of the 3G network. And they decided to just get rid of it because Wi-Fi is so prevalent. In any case, the European Commission wants to say, you've got to have a USB-C port. And my first thought is, well, that's good. But what about when someone comes up with a better port than USB-C? Let's call it USB-D, for example. Would they prevent them from using that? And imagine if the European Commission 15 years ago had said, you have to have a 30-pin um, dock connector on every device, right? And, and we all know that that was efficient at the time, but now we have needs that are different. You agreed with that, but you have another thought. Right. Well, okay. So the biggest problem that I see with this is is that innovation question, because once you start mandating this across the whole swath of European Union countries, then now every manufacturer is, is locked into that technology for an undetermined amount of time until the EU decides to revoke this, right? And that's, that's a real problem, I think, when it comes to innovation, because while I understand the idea behind this is to standardize technology, right? So you don't have to have like 10,000 dongles and, you know, everybody can just be following the same standards, which sounds kind of nice. But um, but that stifling innovation thing, that's, I think, where there's a really big problem. Now, the lightning port, you know, is really not that much different in size from USB-C. Uh, we were just, that's one of the things we were talking about before the, before we started recording is like comparing them side by side. And it's like, well, okay. So I, I would have thought that the lightning port was a little bit skinnier. It's not really that much skinnier noticeably. Um, but nevertheless, this is one of those things where I feel like if Apple, let's say, because there have been rumors about this for a couple of years at least, if, if Apple decided they wanted to go 100% induction or MagSafe charging and get rid of the port altogether, at least on maybe some of the lower-end consumer models, how could they do that, right? If, if there were 
laws in place that said everyone must have a USB-C port. And by the way, that is actually what the proposal says. Yeah, we looked at the we looked at the text from the European Commission. It does say that. Yeah. But see, my thought is that even if MagSafe becomes common, it won't be ubiquitous and you still need to be able to charge your phone. Let's say, I don't know, you're in your car and you can't have MagSafe, so you still need to be able to charge it. So I think you're going to have to have a port for a long time. Yeah, and, and, and just to quote briefly from their Q&A, they say manufacturers remain free to include any wireless charging solution in their products. And by the way, they mentioned this under, oh, this is not going to be an obstacle to innovation because... And they say, oh, yeah, you can still do wireless charging. And then they say alongside the wired charging via the USB-C port. So they are specifically saying you must have this port, even if you're also going to have a wireless charging solution. So I don't like that. I don't think this is a, is a good move. And, um, you know, when I, I again, I get it. I, I, I get the purpose but I think any any time where you're telling where a government entity is like telling a corporation, you may not innovate anymore because we are setting the standard and now you have to follow it for all time until we decide the otherwise. That's completely crazy to me. Gee, I think Josh is going to be surprised when I tell him about automobile standards. I, I, again, <laughs> I, I understand the purpose of standardization on certain things. But again, when you're talking about automobiles, it, it's not a matter of like, you know, can we fit things into you know a smaller space? Automobiles are are big and phones are small and innovation. Well, but it's still the government requiring certain things to be done in certain yeah, ways. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, that's a fair point. Okay. okay. We'll follow this up in the months to come. I think Apple's been moving toward USB-C anyway. The new iPhone doesn't have USB-C, but the new iPad mini does. And I think it's just kind of obvious that maybe the next iPhone will have USB-C. So it might be a moot point as far as Apple's concerned, but we both agree that this might prevent USB-D from coming about. Because if it's a different plug, then everyone's got to change again and get new chargers. And the whole point of this is so people aren't buying chargers and throwing them away or having to bundle chargers with phones so people have an appropriate charger. Okay, that's enough for this week. Now you're off to Hawaii, if I'm correct. Yes, that's correct. I am going to be speaking at Objective by the Sea version 4.0, the, the fourth Objective by the Sea conference this week in Hawaii on Maui. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun, I think. Okay, Josh, until next week, stay secure and party hardy out there in Maui. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com. <laughs>